Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. We welcome you here uh, into our warm sanctuary. We're glad that you're here. And also a big welcome. I know we have many, many more folks than even usual that are joining us online. So uh, thank you, guys. Y'all can all I'll turn and just kind of wave right back there and say thanks, y'all, for joining us here. Um, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're here for the first time or joining us online, we're just really, really thrilled that you are here. A couple of weeks ago, I offered to us a verse uh, from the Bible that we could take throughout the whole year. We do that here each year. And this year, our verse for the year is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so I encourage you to begin thinking about uh, lost things in your own life. Um, for most of us, we begin to think of lost people, maybe people who are lost to us or who feel far away from God or far away from the church. And a couple of weeks ago when we started our year, many of you brought on cards and placed on the uh, altar or here at the kneelers the names of people or, or uh, for a lot of us, it might have been grief, things that we've lost over the last few years. And so I just wanted to remind you of that. And I want to encourage you to continue to pray, to not give up to be persistent in praying for the lost things in your life to be found. Because we see in this verse that God is telling us that Jesus' actual purpose is to seek those things out and to save them. So can we put that verse back up there, Tina? I want you to, to put this somewhere where you can see it um, in your life, or maybe, I think you can even do this easily, is to memorize it. Maybe our most memorizable uh, verse, if that's a word of the, of, that we've ever had. For the Son of Man, and when you think of that, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. We are studying the book of Luke here at Providence Church for the next year or so. We're just going all the way through it, verse by verse, and we find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 3. So I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. But a quick warning to tell you that this is a strange passage, or it's, a, it's an odd passage to read in its entirety. And I thought about maybe not doing that. My guess is this verse has been read live in church very, very few times, but we said we were going to do this, right? That we were going to go through Luke and not skip over things. And so we've come to this place and I'm, you're going you're gonna to understand like just a few verses in what I'm, what I'm saying. But this is um, the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in Luke chapter three. And it says this, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah. 12 more verses, 12 more, 12 more. The son of Joanan, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malaya, the son of Minna, the son of the son of Nathan, the son of 
David. Okay, we've heard of David. That's good. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Abinadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sareg, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you're like me, when you're reading this, you might think, what is Luke up to here? Why all the names? It's an interesting placement of it too. Luke is giving us this in chapter three. We've already heard about Jesus' parents. We've already heard about his birth. We've already been told the story from his childhood. We've already witnessed his baptism. It's an odd placement now, just out of nowhere. It feels almost um, out, uh, out of nowhere. But we've talked about Luke being a careful writer, a historian, a guy who has a very intentional purposes so we would hesitate to think that Luke has just offhand thrown some random genealogy into the mix. It has a purpose. What is Luke up to here? I think one reason, if not the main reason, is that Luke wants us to see that God loves lost things. Uh, this last summer, my family and I took our family vacation to Colorado with my parents and with my brother's family. And we went there for my parents' 50th anniversary. Um, the reason we went to Colorado is because at the age of 20, when my parents were married, they first lived in this part of Western Colorado as newlyweds. Because when my parents were 20, my grandfather, whose name is Wilbur, and what Wilbur, well, what Wilbur had us call him as a grandfather was Wilbur. That was his grandfather name. And Wilbur purchased a lodge, a retreat lodge, at the top of this place called Grand Mesa in Colorado. And so my grandfather, who lived in Donaldson, Tennessee, purchased this vacation retreat business and sent his daughter and brand new son-in-law at the age of 20 to run it. And I have heard stories of this place my whole life. So many stories. I, there, I don't understand how there could be so many stories packed in just a short period of time that my parents and some of my relatives lived there. And so that's where we went for their 50th anniversary. My grandfather, Wilbur, though, died just a short time uh, before we went. And so while we were celebrating mom and dad, I have to admit I had him on my mind most of the time. I even wore this old jacket of his that I got, this jacket that he used to wear out on the farm. I wore it every day when we were out in Colorado. I'd seen him wear it so many times. I also grew a mustache because Wilbur had a mustache. My family hated that. No exceptions. Uh, they all hated it. My brother wouldn't even have a cup of coffee in the morning before he told me he hated it. Uh, and then one day we drove to the top of this mountain where my parents used to live. And I got to fish in the lake, my grandfather's lake. And I caught a trout, which my whole family, my girls, they celebrated because I don't catch many fish. I have a picture of me standing out in the lake on the Grand Mesa fishing. The next picture is the evidence that I caught a fish. You can almost see the mustache. You can almost see why my brother called it the dirt stash. <laughs> 
And then this next picture is my mom and dad, 50 years later. <laughs> and I could, I could just feel on that mountain the connection of my whole family, you know? Without a doubt, Wilbur was our Abraham. And now he was gone. But telling the story even now, I can feel the connection. And when I was there in Colorado, I felt that there were some things that I thought that I had lost that weren't actually lost. I found them in the connection between my family. There's such a powerful connection that can be over just three generations. I look out in the room now, I see some rows that have three generations sitting in them. Really, really cool. I think though Luke would say to me when he heard that story, he might say, nice story, Jacob. <laughs> you know, if he was from my family, he might say like, watch this or, you know, something like that. Because anyways, um, I think Luke might say the power that you find in your mother's father, that's really cool. But Jesus, I want to share with you, is connected all the way to Adam, 76 generations. How Jesus connects to David, our greatest king. How Jesus connects to Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. How Jesus connects to Abraham, the great patriarch. How Jesus connects with Noah, the guy who built the boat and saved the day. How Jesus connects with Adam, the first human. These are Jesus' great, great grandfathers. And most of you can probably understand the power of generations, whether one or two or even three that you've connected to. But Luke is showing us the full connection off the of the spectrum of all of humanity. That Jesus, through his earthly father, Joseph, is connected to it all. And what it means by that is all of us. And so what I want to do this morning as a sort of exercise, I want to share with you four names from the genealogy that you've probably heard. And I want to share with you four names that you probably haven't heard. And my sharing of these eight names, I hope, is a way to share with you one of the most powerful truths about Jesus that can ever be told. The four names that I'll start with are this, David, Jacob, Noah and Adam. Many of you have heard those names, David, Jacob, Noah, and Adam. But the other four names are these, Nathan, Judah, Shem, and Seth. The first four names I told you are four of the most famous names in the Bible. The second four I told you are their sons. So I have to do this quickly, but I think you'll get the point. What I'm wanting you to hear in Jesus' lineage is it's David, as we might expect, but not just David, it's Nathan. That it's Jacob, we could have guessed that, the father of all the tribes, but it's not just Jacob, it's Judah. It's Noah, but it's not just Noah, it's Shem. And it's Adam, but not just Adam, it's Seth. So here we go. David is the great king of Israel. He's the greatest king of Israel. Everyone would have expected Jesus, the Messiah, to come in his lineage. But if you know the story of David, you would have known that it all should have ended with David. That David messed up greatly. That David was the anointed one, but he was also, in a moment, it felt like a murderer and an adulterer, and he tried to cover it up. David ends up marrying this lady named Bathsheba, whose husband, Uriah, was killed on the front lines of battle because David, the king, sent Uriah to the front lines of battle when he should have been on the front lines of battle, but he stayed home because he was having an affair with Uriah's wife. The firstborn of David and Bathsheba dies at childbirth. It's a tragic story. The last son of David and Bathsheba's name is Solomon. Some of you have heard of him. He becomes the next great king. But in between those sons is a little boy born named Nathan. 
Nathan traditionally, uh, the Jewish people say, is the only son of David and Bathsheba that Bathsheba got to name herself. And so Bathsheba names the son after the man who exposed the sin of David. <laughs> so running around their house all the time is Nathan, 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 Nathan. An insignificant son. There's no other stories about him. He's from a union that should have never been. The lineage of Jesus is not just David, but Nathan. Jacob is the great father of Israel, the father of 12 tribes, 12 sons. In fact, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. So you can't have a story about the people of Israel without Israel himself. But if you know Jacob's story, he's a trickster, he's a cheat, he's a deceiver. In fact, the name Jacob means deceiver. I always say thank you, mom and dad, for that one. Jacob's sons were as big a mess as he was. He had kind of one son that really stood out, Joseph. So if there was gonna be somebody that Jesus came through, you'd think it would be Joseph, but it wasn't Joseph in Luke's lineage, it was Judah. What is Judah known for? Ready? It's just Cliff Notes version. Here's what Judah's known for. Here's pretty much all we know about Judah. He slept with his daughter-in-law who was posing as a prostitute. The son of that union becomes a great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Well, not just Jacob, but Judah. Noah, you know Noah, right? Noah built the ark. Noah was the only faithful man around. Everybody was wicked except Noah and his family was saved when the floods came in the ark. It was Noah and it was his family and one of Noah's sons was named Shem. And the only story about Shem in the Bible is after the flood, Noah got drunk and was lying on the floor of his room naked. And Shem... And the shame of his father backs in with a blanket over his shoulder and throws it over his shoulder to not look at his dad to cover up his drunk, naked dad. That's Shem's story. Like you tell that story, the therapist picks up their pen, starts writing things. Okay, <laughs> we got something here, right? <laughs> Which I'm sort of joking. But when your father is seen as this great man and everybody knows him as a great man, but at home he gets drunk, and lies around on the floor without his clothes on, and you're the one that has to cover for him, that affects your whole life, and that affects your whole family. And that's Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. Not just Noah, but Shem. And then there's Adam. Of course there's Adam. You can't have the story without Adam, the first man, but also the first man who sins. Seth is not the first son of Adam. The first son of Adam is Cain. The second son of Adam is Abel. And the first two boys who ever lived end up having conflict and Cain kills Abel. So Abel's dead, Cain's banished, and then along comes another son. His name is Seth. It all should have been lost with Adam, but if not with Adam, surely with Seth the offspring of the first sinner. It all should have been lost with Noah, but if not Noah, surely with Shem, you know, the guy in therapy. It should have been lost with Jacob, but if not Jacob, surely with Judah, the guy who got the prostitute and it ended up being his daughter-in-law. It should have been lost with David, coward king who uses his power for his own satisfaction. But if not David, surely with Nathan, an unknown son of grief, and not the son of favor. But here's the deal, guys. It wasn't lost. 
God held on through all the brokenness of all the generations. Why? God loves lost things. And he won't give up on them ever. In 2018, my wife, Rachel, and I, we took our first trip to Israel, and we went as a sort of scout trip for trips that hopefully we could take you on. We'd taken a group and hoped to take another one, but we wanted to go ourselves first without leading a team because we'd never been there, and we just wanted to experience it and, and, and learn, and so we went with a very small group of people. We all fit in one van. We had a guide, an Israeli guide, who was the son of a Jewish rabbi. His name was Amittai. And one day we were leaving Bethlehem, which is where we were staying, and went out into, um, see, Bethlehem is a part of a Palestinian-controlled area. It's Palestine. And when you leave Bethlehem, you go into Israel, even though it's, these are like the, the, the lines of a, of a nation, but they're all mixed up and messed up. It's complicated. And so when you leave Bethlehem, this is actually a picture that I took that day. That's the wall separating Bethlehem, Palestine from Israel. And right down that little alley, we were leaving and Amittai, our guide, we weren't gonna stop there, but he said, he said, actually, right down that alley down there is the tomb of Rachel. Rachel was married to Jacob in, in the Bible, a great matriarch. And he said, it's one of the holiest, he said, it's one of the three holiest sites for Jews to visit on their pilgrimage to Israel. And he said, it's just right down there. And we were leaving and I asked Amittai, I said, hey, can we go? He looked at me, he said, it's not really a tourist stop. But then he looked at me and Rachel and he understood, like, I'm Jacob, she's Rachel. I was like, I think we should go check this out, right? And so he said, yeah, sure. And we had to put certain head coverings on and dress a certain way. Um, they split us up, men and women. There's actually a wall down the room that, that, that holds Rachel's tomb. So men on one side, women on the other. And it was packed with people, Jewish pilgrims from all around the world who've come to this most holy place. And what the uh, Jewish folks do around the tomb of Rachel, almost without exception, is they weep. It was just filled with all these people from all over the world, weeping, their heads on the tomb, their heads on the ground, holding each other. It was really odd. You could feel the emotion of it, but I have to admit, I was sort of confused. And we stayed just a few minutes and when we walked outside, I asked Amittai, I, could, I was perplexed. I said, I don't understand. Why is everyone weeping in this place over Rachel's tomb? Rachel, 4,000 years dead. And Amittai looked at me with as perplexed a look as I had given him. He didn't understand my question. I'll never forget his answer when I said, why is everybody weeping over long dead Rachel? He said this, just like this. He said, she is our mother. Because of genealogies like Luke's, They've never lost the connection to Rachel as if, and she is, their mother. Was Luke's genealogy haphazard? No, not at all. It teaches us that in our brokenness, in our loss, the loss of our families, in our grief, you remember the grief, you go back and cry, but it's in the brokenness that God saves. So Rachel and I, my Rachel, we got a quiet moment just by ourselves after that moment. And uh, we held each other real close. We prayed and we cried over Mother Rachel. I know that sounds odd, but we are in that family. And that's why Luke shares the genealogy so that you can be connected to the family, the dysfunctional, <laughs> broken family that God is never going to give up on. He refuses. It's not within his nature. 
His heart is full of love for the things that we would see as lost. In, in God's family, there's babies that don't make it. And sexual sin, and anger, and violence, and drunkenness, and shame, and cowards, and every other form of brokenness, not just that we can think of, but that we can think of in our own family. God's way of saying, there's no lost thing that I don't love. And as you think about your lost things today, your lost sons and daughters, your grandchildren, your mom, your dad, your Wilbur, your coworkers, your friends, your babies, I cannot give you a timetable on when God is going to rescue them or rescue your mess. But I can tell you with certainty today that God loves your lost things. He sent his son to seek them out and to save them. And so here's what I wanna tell you today as your pastor. You put your trust in him. You put your hope in Jesus. Do not go after any other gods or idols like the people of God are prone to do. They will let you down. Worse than that, my friends, they will lead you to destruction. There is only one God who loves with an everlasting love across all generations and who's in the very business of seeking and saving the lost. And that God sent his son because he loves that world, our world, our family so much that whoever believes in him, the son of God will not be lost. God will not lose one who looks to his son. You see, God has a plan to seek and to save all the lost things, all the lost things in your family tree, man. And the plan, the plan of God is the son of man. You heard all those men whose names I mentioned, representing, of course, all the men and all the women. Well, Jesus took the name for himself, the son of man. And he said, you, know, you wanna know what the son of man's all about? Seeking and saving the lost. Amen. Let us pray. God, we know there is only one God who loves like you love across all generations. We know you are in the very business of saving our sons and daughters, our community, our schools, our government, our land. We're trusting you. We're putting our trust in you. We love your plan. We love the plan that is Jesus, the son of man. So we put our trust in him today, our true king. As we come to the table of communion, we receive him, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross. And we accept God, life, eternal life, which means whether in this life or the next, one day we will all be together again with the full family tree, <laughs> the family of God forever and ever, amen.